This week on Profane Faith, you know what? Y'all get to hear me preach a little bit. Y'all ready for that? Oh, yeah. That America is a place where all things are possible. That is some group of people, thousands. I hate you, naturally. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible. Welcome to Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. Here we go. Profane faith. Welcome in. Welcome in. Yes, it's your boy, Daniel White Hodge. If it's your first time joining us, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Great to have you on the show. Um, well, you know what? This week is interesting. Um, come, uh, talking about a couple of different things um, that's just been ruminating in my heart and in my mind. Um, a few weeks back, I was asked to come out and speak at Fuller Theological Seminary, where, if you know uh, me, that's where I did my master's and my doctorate, my PhD. And, um, you know, every year they would put on a conference. It's like a little three day conference. And it was called the Missiology Lectures. And when I was a student there, you know, I, I never went. I would look and I would see some of the speakers and I just said, you know, none of this stuff is very relevant for me. Um, you know, I mean, they would have interesting topics every now and then. And I'd be like, oh, OK, maybe. Maybe I, you know, maybe once they started recording it, I maybe listened to maybe one or two speakers, but I just wasn't interested in, you know, showing up and and really just giving three days of my time when I had, you know, research and coding and, you know, interviews to go get done. And so I was like, man, I'm I'm just not gonna go. So when I was invited, this was my first time to go ever. Um, this particular conference was each year they have a different theme. It was on race, theology, and mission, um, which I found very interesting. I mean, it's a great topic. Um, some great people put it on Dr. Amos Young, Dr. Love Seacrest, Dr. Johnny Ramirez, um, three great ethnic minorities whom I wish were there when I was there. Um, they were hired um, after I left um, and they were commissioned with the task to put together a conference on race, theology and mission. So a couple of different things. Um, one, I it's. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> this day and age, a white seminary like Fuller putting on a conference on race always gets my eyebrows up. <laughs> well, I actually can't do the one eyebrow crazy thing, so um, I just give the side eye. So I always give a side eye to stuff like that. I was I went because Amos Young asked me to come, and I knew my man Gay Vias was coming, so I was I was like, all right, well, I'll go check it out. You know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll go out and um. So, you know, it, and it was a good time. I mean, I guess I, here's the thing. This is what I'm trying to hold in tension this week here on the show. Is it time to move on from white seminaries as people of color? Is it time to really either A, develop our own, B, get in with some place that's really ready to move forward and empower us, us meaning people of color, ethnic minorities, um, or do we re rethink the whole thing altogether? 
is there anything salvageable? Okay, I mean it's it's, it's not it's it, this is public news that I'm about to say. This is not any, I'm about putting anybody's stuff out on blast. But you know, Fuller is in financial dire straits. I mean, they straight up are. At one point, when I know when I was there, this was you know almost 13, 14 years ago. Um, they were one of the biggest property owners in Pasadena. Uh, if you know anything about Southern California property, you know it's just insane uh, money. Uh, Pasadena, in particular, uh, has an interesting history as it relates to tenants and um, just housing discrimination, redlining, all of that stuff. Excuse me. Um, a large part of it is just because a lot of people don't think that Pasadena is even a place that discrimination is even taking place. Um, and um, you know, cause you got the Rose Parade, Rose Bowl, it's, you know, in Southern California, people don't believe that you see the, you know, the palm trees, you think, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is an amazing place. Why would racism be taking place here? And, it, and the reality of it is, is that, you know what? It really is. It's here. It's live and in charge. And so, um, it, you know, and so it's, they've had their issues just on one end of housing. And so from Fuller being the biggest housing, they sold off all their properties. You know, this, like I said, this is all public knowledge. Um, and so they're still in dire straits. And so one of the conversations was, you know, are we going to move? Um, and, or are we going to stay? And if we stay, what are we going to do? I mean, all those financial questions. I mean, I think what's interesting to me about this is that one, um, the financial, crisis that a lot of white schools find themselves predominantly white schools find themselves in um you know if if measures had been taken now i'm not saying you know hey if they had allowed ethnic minorities in and run and all that good stuff you know things would have been different we're just in a different we're just in an interesting time we've talked about this on the show the apex that we find ourselves here in the 21st century we have major worldview upheaval we have major ideological structures being undone and being shook to the core right and this is not just here in the united states where we have a crazy president but we also have we're seeing these in other countries right uh spain is going through their stuff um stuff out in brazil um this stuff in france and in the uk right you know they're voting brexit the whole nine so we're we are at a turning point in the world right um and so you know white owned seminaries that once upon a time were like the tantamount example of what a christian seminarian should look like are now closing their doors and so i'm asking myself what is the purpose then of seminary? What is the purpose of higher ed? I mean, I think in general, people are asking the question, right? What is the purpose of higher ed? What is the purpose of, of having a graduate level degree, especially going into professionalized ministry? What is it for? What, 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 what purpose does it serve? I mean, these are critical questions that you have to ask. I'm asking myself, right? I mean, I went, when I first went to Fuller, I'm thinking, oh man, I am going to be this great minister and go and, and work with the people, right? And <laughs> ended up getting into higher ed right um and so you know and here's the thing i mean i'm not dogging it as much as i'm saying we have to ask these questions because at the end of the day things are shifting and so the second point then to this then is i'm wondering what is fuller's next move right um a few weeks back at, at aar you know uh every school or you know particularly universities and 
institutions they have with you know what they call receptions and fullers oh man aar is, is great you know that i've talked a lot about it on the show and they have these great receptions in the evenings like on saturday sunday monday great receptions there's like free wine and food and everything and it's great they're in the evening it's great fuller <laughs> decides to do theirs at seven in the morning on a monday <laughs> Now, I get its traditions, what they used to do, but yo, come on, man. I just got into bed at like 3 o'clock the night before, and you going to have something at 7 o'clock. The only reason I went, two, one, uh, 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 Tamisha, she's a student there. I, I went because I knew she was going, and I knew Gabe was going, and I knew we were trying to like kind of stir the pot a little bit to be like, hey, what the hell is going on? So I was like, all right, I'll get my weary butt up. I was late, y'all, but you know, nonetheless, I got there. And so in that, it was interesting, the president, Mark Lamberton, actually gave this analogy, which I found so fitting, that fits our time right now. It's it. He gave this analogy about how he resisted for a long time to buy anything from Amazon. You know, he considered them like kind of like this... Um, you know this guy you know he used to you know he was he was joking but he called him like you know this this demonic place and everything like that and what you know and so he resisted he said you know but then he makes the connection with you know but hey the fuller bookstore is now closed right they're done they're they're, they're you know they only have this little coffee shop there right so the brick and mortar right i mean think about that think about the shift that's happening right now with brick and mortar structures right Amazon has rewritten the game. And even if you think about the taxi cab company, people are opting to go with something like an Uber or Lyft because the convenience, right? You can just connect with an app. Plus, you know, their service, right? We've all known that, you know, those of you taking taxis, you already know, man. I mean, they, they can be pretty rude. And so now, you know, things are shifting economically. And so Amazon is dominated. I mean, I know when I was in uh, at Fuller, I didn't buy stuff in the bookstore. I would, I would, once I found out about Amazon, I was buying from Amazon. So he makes this connection. And he's saying, like, oh, man, you know, the Fuller bookstore is closed now, but now I'm ordering stuff from Amazon. And I'm like, huh, that is fascinating. So you didn't want to listen back then when you saw the trends and saw some of the things moving this way. You didn't want to engage in it then. And I get it takes big institutions a long time to change. But I also find it interesting. The next point he's talking about how, you know, they need to hire new ethnic minorities and they're really looking for a provost that is non-white and they're not even going to interview anybody white and they've got an african-american asian latinx person which is all great fine and dandy but i'm like huh has the music stopped <laughs> and everybody found a chair except you and now you all of a sudden now want to be i i i i i you know um i hear y'all 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 can you know what I'm saying y'all ethnic minorities now y'all can come in and i'm like hold up hold up now i think most deaf uh you know back in the day said it you know this was like this was right after obama got elected and uh he was on i think the bill Maher show or one of those one of those shows um and he was like man i knew obama was gonna get elected and he was like well, you know bill Maher was like what, what are you talking about he's like because he's like anytime anything's just really really messed up they give it to the black guy <laughs> or the black person right and it's just like, man, that that the irony is not lost on me that Lamberton makes this connection with Amazon, okay? Amazon that, you know, this is essentially taking over everything. Right now, today we had a buyout of CVS and one of the drug companies, and they're trying to like battle this because now Amazon's got um uh whatchamacallit, um Whole Foods, right? 
and it's like you know everybody's trying to go up against the behemoth and so and i mean and and i i get that i mean that's a whole show in and of itself we talk about you know uh global policy and and and, and macroeconomics and all that kind of stuff like that we'll, we'll talk about that later trust me but for the point being is it's like it's interesting now that you want to have conversations with ethnic minorities the third point that got me with this whole thing was with at the at the lectures we had uh bill pinnell william pinnell uh come out and he announced you know he's two days away from being um 90 years old his brother's 88 years old so for those of you who don't know bill pinnell i mean just look him up he's renowned african-american scholar theologian um he's been around a long time right he's so he's in, you know he was in the era of the james cone uh era so he gets up and speaks on the opening night and you know he starts in and it's just like He's telling stories from like 1963, 1964, 1965, and it struck me, man. I'm like, he's having the same conversations that we're having here in 2017. And I get the arc, the universal arc of justice. You know, it takes a long time for it to bend, right, towards actual justice. But it struck me in a micro sense that, okay, so we, I, I know when I was at Fuller, I was talking about all of this stuff. Like, like I'm talking about like racial quality. I'm talking about representation in the classroom. It's like, okay, wait a minute now. Why now? <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Is it, is it a genuine, right? Is it a genuine approach to engage ethnic minorities or is it out of necessity? Right. Is it out of, because, you know, shoot, they going to turn the lights off in this place and maybe we get some ethnic minorities and that cool, you know, maybe, maybe they won't. So here's the thing. The jury's still out on all of that. I'm not casting judgment as much as I am posing some questions. Um, I've talked with Mark about a lot of this stuff. Um, we've had conversations. Um, and I, again, I don't know. I just don't know what the future of white run institutions like that are. I really don't. Um, and that goes to the school like me, you know, where I'm at. I mean, I think, you know, when you deal with tuition based universities and schools and everything, and you get a lot of these places that have dug their heels in and said, you know what, uh, -uh we ain't going to allow this. We're going to do this. And we're still having the same conversations. Cause I'm like, if Bill Pinnell talking about representation back in 1964, and we still talking about that and why does a place like Fuller continue to have these issues pop up? Right. Why are we still talking about the same thing, right? And and is and are we just wasting our breath? Is it time for us to collectively come together and actually put that energy that we would put towards trying to beg and trying to ask? Like I want to start the hashtag like I'm done asking. Like I'm done asking white evangelicals, can I come in? Please, can I come? Can I be a part of your party? Can I be right now the movement right is like towards progressives and everything is like but even that turns in to a white movement a white liberal progressive movement but we've already talked about coming the lethal racism that comes from those group of folks so i'm struggling right <laughs> and i want to hold some of these things in tension so bringing it back to what i was really talking about i like i said i was asked to come so i came out um uh and a i opened the uh the lectures up with a, a, a chapel um it's uh it's a lecture that i've been working on just a talk i've been working on on nebuchadnezzar um most of you listening you know know nebuchadnezzar if you don't just google the brother real quick um but one of the takes that i take on him is like how and you'll hear this in the talk that i'm about to give here in the chapel um is 
is how Nebuchadnezzar really became this beloved leader. Even though he was brutal, even though he was he was he would kill off his enemies in a second, he did not kill off the people who he conquered. He actually developed an early form of capitalism and empowerment, like like actual classes right in his kingdom in Babylon. So it stands to reason that when he erected the statue, so many people were bowing, right? Because you got to remember, like, why, you know, why would, you know, why would he bow down to this? Like, really? That's what we're going to do? But you can imagine the people in the crowd saying, hey, well, you know what, man? This brother gave me a job. So what? Whatever. If he wants me to, if he wants me to bow down, I'll bow down. <laughs> right? So I wanted to frame that conversation in this whole this 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 connection with the race because i believe we are in a time where we have fallen in love when i say we i talk about a nation i'm not talking most of you guys who are listening i'm preaching to the choir right now right um but we as a country have fallen in love with a national identity we've fallen in love with the flag we've fallen in love with ideas we've fallen in love with theologies rather than looking at people looking at community looking at the the messiness of what it means to actually be in those spaces and so, right, people get pissed off when a guy like Colin Kaepernick sits and, or, or takes a knee, right? You have, what is it, Tommy Lauren posting something on Twitter the other day. Um, what was it on? I, it was on one of, the, one of the holidays. It might have been Thanksgiving or something like that. But anyways, she posted it on Twitter where it was, a, um, it was an old World War II uh, picture of all the, you know, the men storming Normandy Beach, and he's still in the boat taking a knee. And the caption was, you know, um, what was it, uh, something to think about or something like that, right? I'm just like, really? Wow. But we've fallen in love with that ideological construct of like, okay, somehow kneeling in a protest that you can't, you, you can't even define, right? Most white folks can't define what it is, they how they want black people to protest. They just want them protesting at all, right? Um, right, you've fallen in love with this flag so that somehow this is then back connected with all these other things. I'm just like, man, come on come on now but this is where we're at so this empire so what what are those golden statues that we all bow down to every day and i'm including myself in that you know it could be the academy it could be publications it could be my cv it could be you know the, the accolades that i get when i show up to a place and people know my name you know those things become addicting yo <laughs> trust me on that so I wanted to have a conversation. Well, it's not even a conversation. It is a sermon. It's, it's a chapel talk. And so uh, I wanted to put that out because uh, there's a group of us. Um, I can't necessarily get into all the names. I don't want to forget anybody. But there's a group of us that that I think that conference, the missiology lectures, really shook enough of us to be like, OK, the time is now to act. And we've been texting. We've had a group text. We've had emails going. Uh, there's now some stuff popping off on Fuller's campus. A professor said the N word in class. Um, you know, in, you know, he said that in, in relation to what somebody said on the film, but then didn't really necessarily apologize. I mean, it's a whole, like this whole mess is like, why would a white male <laughs> say the N word in class and then try to defend it? Right. I mean, you just don't. I mean, you just, there's a thousand ways you can see. You can just say, oh, N-word this and stuff, you know, and then just keep moving. And so we've been talking about that. We've been talking about what is the next move? What does this group mean? What is this, you know, because it was like the lectures were really a poignant time. And I actually had some closing remarks um, at the lecture. And one of the questions I posed was like, what is going to change? What's actually going to change? Because, right, we, we, we go to these great conferences. We hear this great information. We get empowered and then. Monday comes and nothing's changed. All right. 
We're sitting there. We're thinking like, oh, oh this was great. Like, what are we going to do? Well, Monday's coming. And so what what changed? What what moved forward? And so that's really where I'm at. I'm asking myself that what's changing? What's changing in my institution? What's what you know, what's what is the difference that I'm making? Because we are I've said this before. We are in time of war, y'all. This is this is not the time our pastor today, Laura Truex, was just like, this is not the time to hit the snooze button. This is the time to get up. And you're seeing that. And I think a place like Fuller is really feeling it. I feel for Mark Lamberton in many ways. You know, a white, straight, cisgendered male at a time of evolutionary crisis for whiteness. And I think it's much needed evolutionary crisis, but it's nonetheless a crisis. And, you know, he's facing some major problems. I mean, how do you engage black and brown students on a campus at the center of a city that is known for discrimination, known historically for uprisings, known historically, right, for social justice and pressing forward, right? Um, you know, was the, the centerpiece for not one but two major uprisings, actually three major uprisings um, over the last hundred years. And so how do you embrace all of that and still think we're going to go out and do ministry and, you know, get ordained and all that good stuff? So I put this little sermon together on Nebuchadnezzar and really wanted to challenge folks. And I wanted you guys as my audience to hear it. Um, because I thought it had some good points, first of all. And I also wanted you to kind of take in like how this whole time started off because it, I, I mean, I thought it was a really moving time. I thought it was a time where we were able to really see some stuff. My, my, and, and my thing now is just like, again, what are we going to do now? And is an institution like Fuller the place to be doing that at? And I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. Um, I have adopted a strong Afro-pessimistic approach these days. Um, and the pessimist side of me says, no, it's not worth it. You've been asking. You were asking then. You know, but Bill Pinnell was asking in the 60s, right? They're still asking, like, what? when will you learn, right? When will you learn that you're just practicing the definition of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting different results? You know, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know, man. That's the pessimistic side of me. You know, maybe you guys are more optimistic than me <laughs> in this regard. But all that to say, um, here's my talk. It's like I said, on Nebuchadnezzar. It's about a 20 minute talk. And then I, well, there's two things, just a couple caveats. One, I wanted you to hear the woman who, who read the scripture beforehand. Woo! She did an amazing job. So I just, I had to record that and uh, have her listen. There was something wrong with the recording. So I didn't do the recording. So first of all, don't blame me. <laughs> this came off of YouTube. And so I extracted the audio from that. Um, and so the beginning of her talk is a little low, but it picks up. And so you'll hear uh, she's from Egypt. And whoo, she just said those. I've never heard Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say said that well. And then the way she said Nebuchadnezzar, you'll see, you'll see, you'll hear, you'll hear, I should say. So I wanted to get capture that. It's my talk. And then it ends with a pretty good song. So it's like some praise and worship. So I wanted you to kind of get the whole feel of what that was like. There was a lot of white folks in the audience. Um, and, you know, it's fuller, right? It's fuller, very, you know, kind of astute and kind of like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And depending on who you talk to, some people say fuller's conservative. Some people say fuller's too liberal. Nevertheless, it's fuller. And it's a very white institution with white donors. And, you know, it does. It doesn't. It, the irony is not lost that, you know, there are donors, I'm sure, that voted for Trump who are still giving to that school. Um, and I do know that the people who put this together, Amos, Love and Johnny, I'm sure they're taking out all kinds of heat right now uh, because of this conference. 
because I went in, Gabe went in, whole bunch of us went in, you know, and I, and I think it's needed. I mean, I just think it's needed. I think we're, we're at a time now where all that's needed. So that's that <laughs> little bit of an introduction, but hopefully it gives you some context of where I'm coming from. I'm wanting to continue this conversation, um, but I wanted to at least get it going here. Uh, let you hear my talk, what I gave, uh, and then we can, you know, hopefully have some conversation around that. Sound good? All right, check it out. and whose width was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prophets and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of that statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before that statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble. You are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever doesn't fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as the people as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and the entire musical ensemble, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O oh, king, live forever! You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever doesn't fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abnaru, these pay no heed to you. They do not serve your gods. And they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abnaru be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abnaru? 
that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, to fall down and worship the statue that I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abnago answered the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hands, O oh, king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O oh, king, that we will not serve your gods. And we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abnero that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abnero and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abnero, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, true, O king. He replied, but I see four. I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a God. This is the word of the Lord. Woo, mercy, mercy, mercy. That's the sermon right there, yeah. Woo! Good night, everyone. Uh, staying at the Westin. Wow. Wow, that is amazing. Wow, some things have changed up in here at Fuller since I was here. <laughs> I mean, the band, y'all, good night.
gosh, doggets. All right, I promised myself to not use strong language up in here. Because since the November election of 2016, I have lost all the Fs I'm going to give. And guess what? I'm tenured. Yeah. So I, so I equally don't give many more Fs about that as well. I even introduce myself at restaurants. How you doing? I'll have the pork tenderloin. And I'm tenured. Did you know that, by the way? Gosh, dogs, that was amazing. I have truly been touched. Thank you for the organizers of putting this together. Thank you for having me out. It is a, it is a wonderful honor uh, to be back at Fuller and to be here amongst all of you and to talk um, with you guys. Uh, this, this, this is great. I, I feel really encouraged. And that's good because we live in a time where encouragement is not plentiful. We live at a time when we have the darkness being called great and mighty. We live at a time when we see that the evil works being done out there are being called righteous. And we live at a time when one of the most heinous leaders that is leading our country is being called a man of God. I come this morning to speak to you a little bit about empire. And what that means. Because you see, many of us like to identify with the heroes and the heroines of the Bible, right? We want to be the person who helped the person go to the to whatever, right? We want to be the person who lifted that person up. We want to we say the amens to that, but it's a little hard to identify with the priests who passed the person beat down on the side of the road. It's a little much harder to then identify with somebody who is taking advantage of others. The Oxford English Dictionary says it like this, anything considered as or likened to a realm or domain, having an absolute ruler, such as heaven, hell, and the oceans, is an empire. And say, well, Dan, how does, how does that break down? How does that even come into being? Well, let me give you just a little context on Nebuchadnezzar. And I ain't going to give those names. Man, that was, I've never heard those names be said that beautifully before. Thank you for that. That's amazing. I always came out of Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. That was, that's where I, that's where I came. So, you know what I'm saying? This is just what they said it in the hood, you know what I'm saying? So, just keeping it 100, as the young people say, right? But Nebuchadnezzar, one of the things I like about Nebuchadnezzar is that he is actually in the history books of Jewish history, non-Christian history, and Christian history. That's what I like about Nebuchadnezzar, right? I, I, Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting, interesting cat. Because oftentimes, we don't necessarily take into account what some of the villains and who some of the folks are in the Bible, right? We can just overlook it. And we want to go right to Shadrach, Meshach, right? And Abednego, we, we want to go right to that and be like, I would be that person. You sure? Sure about that? Let me break down Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he was a mastermind of development, one of the first venture capitalists that came to be. He came in and destroyed the people who were in rule, but he understood that if he took out the people who were to be the laborers, that one, someday those persons could actually come back and try to kill him, but number two, those persons could actually begin to build. If you give them a little money, you give them a little power, give them a little bit of property, they will become heirs to you and loyal to you. He restored cities, he redeveloped economies, and he led large labor forces. He created one of the most technologically advanced cities in Babylon. 
He was able to create water that moved up and created a waterfall in his palace. He was able to create jobs and economic stability. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Because money is the God and the religion that we pay homage to the most. We worship money continually. In fact, we treat the economy like it's a daggone person. Oh, we can't do that. Well, that's going to hurt the economy. Oh, man, no, we can't go feed homeless people. That's going to hurt the economy. You know, that's, that's just going to hurt the economy. Like, gosh, dogs, man. It's a social construct. Ain't going to hurt nobody. But Nebuchadnezzar understood how to use cheap labor and captured slaves. And they would be indebted to him because they had work. See, there's something psychological that happens when work happens, right? You begin to identify, you begin to have an identity, you begin to feel like, I got something. I got a little property, I got a little corner, I got a little piece of the pie here. I don't want to mess that up. In fact, we call those sometimes, particularly in the black and brown communities, Latinx communities, Michael Eric Dyson says there's a difference between the Afro-istocracy and the ghetto-istocracy, And the widening gap between wealth, right? And when you think about it, when you have a job, this is what happens with tokenism, right? This is what happens when we go in, when you hire one of those people. That puts total amount of pressure on that person then to begin to perform. Maybe y'all don't hear me on that, all right? When there's one ethnic minority, and I do include women in that as well, all right? I'm Dr. King. I'm just going to put it out there. You should be a full professor. There's no sense in you should still being an associate professor. So when we start thinking about the titles and where ethnic minorities stand, don't tell me how many ethnic minorities you have when they don't have any agency or sense of power in that organization. Don't talk to me about diversity when all your leading staff are white men. In fact, I've learned all I can from white men, white cisgendered men. In fact, in most of my classes, I don't even have white males as textbooks anymore. It's a dang shame that you can go through seminary and not know who James Cone is. Carrie Day, Kelly Brown Douglas, Monica Coleman, who's just up the street. We are in a time of empire. Empire creates complacency. It creates agreeableness with the empire itself. In fact, Theodore Adorno even said it. He called it way back in the 30s and 40s. He said that media, the belief in media, the belief in this television, this thing that's right in front of us, is so believable that it can confuse the masses to no end. Cultural theorist and anti-globalist Naomi Klein says it like this, when you fall in love with an idea, a theory, it becomes dangerous. Because that idea, that theory is perfect on paper. But the messiness of people and community come in and then start to mess it up. And then what does that lead to? It leads to wars. It leads to people wanting to kill other people because of the way they look and what they believe and how they engage, and how they walk on this earth. Because we've fallen in love with an idea. And you think, well, Dan, that's just not me. Well, what about falling in love with a theology? A certain way of believing. 
And now the messiness of life comes in and you don't know how to connect those dots. See, empire creates luxury and comfort because there's something nice about having a house. There's something nice about having tenure. Oh, I'm gonna put myself on blast here. Eddie Gloud said it at last year's American Academy of Religion conference. He said, man, part of the blame rise on us as academics because we were so busy chasing that paper. We were so busy trying to get that next publication. We were so busy trying to go out and get this next book deal done that we completely overlooked what was going on in our communities. Empire creates enculturation. An ease to life. In ease to a way of understanding how things come together. Empire. It's the love of ideologies and creeds. So it brings to sense that why so many people bow down to this image. You can imagine that there were certain people who probably said, look, man, I, this brother going to make this big old thing, man. Look, shoot. He got something to hide up in him. I don't know what's going on up in there with the queen, but uh, you know what, though, man? This brother gave me a job, so eh, I'll go on and take this knee. I don't want to cause no trouble. Don't put me in the middle of that. Or maybe we've gotten so consumed with an ideological trait of the American dream that we can look at somebody like Colin Kaepernick and call him a traitor. Because we've fallen in love with this religious ceremonial thing that we call patriotism. And the flag has become an idol. This understanding that this nation is somehow God's nation. Really? Stolen land that you brutally killed people for that you took from other folks who had been here for thousands of years. But this is God's nation. I'd rather be an atheist if that's your God. I kid you not, I'm not here to defluff any wings or anything like that because at the end of the day, we are at war. And if you haven't realized that yet, it's time to wake up. It's time to get shook, as Mob Deep says in their original album, Shook Ones. Mob Deep, one of the best albums in 1999, or 1995. It is time to begin to see how does the love of empire create a defense of the empire. And I'm here today to say, what does it actually mean to actually think about? Because oftentimes we think about reconciliation and all these nice, fluffy things. Reconciliation, as Brandy Miller so eloquently put it, only continues to enforce white supremacy and whiteness among us. I am not a fan of reconciliation. I cannot reconcile with a Nazi. I cannot reconcile with white supremacy. So don't come to me talking about we're going to come together and somehow hold hands. And it's going to be okay. Let me put it to you this way. It wasn't reconciliation and love that won World War I. It wasn't holding hands in Kumbaya that won World War II. And it dang sure wasn't love and reconciliation that got Title IV to get together that now that has been torn down all to pieces in 1964. So what does a theology of violence look like for ethnic minorities? Because every time a black body is slain on the streets, we are told to forgive and forget. We are told to just look over these things and to embrace the oppressor. And I'm here to tell you today, if you're taking your theology... And especially if you're an ethnic minority, you're taking your theology 
from colonial times, you need to actually take it back to 5th and 6th century Africa because Christianity is a black religion. If you are still understanding Christianity from the 18 and 1700s, you have a colonized theology. Empire creates violence to protect ideological and creedal frameworks. I'm not advocating for violence. I'm not advocating to go out and beat people up, but dadgummit, I have permits. Oh, you think I'm joking. You come into my house, I ain't gonna pray for you. I ain't gonna hold hands with you. I got hollow points. So I'm just putting, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it real. I'm gonna keep it 100. Can I keep it real with y'all this morning? Because I'm tired of fluff sermons that come up and say, oh, we're gonna hold and we're gonna be together. I should about 100. No, no, no. Stop that. We are at war, y'all. Because I don't see anybody embracing Osama bin Laden as their brother in Christ. I don't see anybody embracing ISIS. This whole terrorist act that just happened in New York, people are not calling to go embrace that person. No, we want that person dead. We want that blood, we love it, we love blood, we love the violence. How can you expect then that a country etched and founded in violence would not continue to produce the same violence? And so we have to begin to think, what is your empire? What is it that keeps you bending and at that altar that has been created before you? Is it work? Is it a job? I mean, those are real things. I was on the adjunct trail for 10 years, y'all. 10 years, 485 miles a week, 13 classes every semester that I was teaching. And this is with a PhD in publications. African-Americans make up less than 15% of tenured professors in the academy. Okay, that is not by accident. This is 2017, y'all. That is not by, that is by design. You wonder why when blacks organize, people get a little nervous and secure. You let African-Americans show up with guns at a rally and see what happens. See, I don't fear ISIS. I don't fear those entities that the, that the empire is telling me I need to fear. I fear Chicago Police Department when I get pulled over. And they have an AR-15 pointed at my head. And I'm supposed to remain calm. Yeah, think about that. Think about Terrence Crutcher, who was just stalled on the side of the road. And the police officer that just killed him got their record clean. And in fact, in a quote said, I just didn't want that smear on my record. And for many of us, black and brown bodies, we are a smear on somebody's record. This love of empire has gone too far. And here's the thing. I don't really have a lot of answers. I'm here to sound the alarm. We got some work we need to do. I'm very encouraged that we have a multi-ethnic uh, choir that's up here. We talked about that long and hard back when I went to school here, right? It's like, oh, man, here they come with them guitars again. Oh, Lord, I ain't going to... No, I'm just going to keep it real. I didn't come to chapel. I was like, no, nah, man, uh-uh, hell no. Nah. I'm going to go listen to some Tupac. That's my benediction, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to go Nas, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God and kingdom-mindedness, the love of people over ideologies and creeds. Community, we have to do this in community. We have to be engaged in community. I'm glad that we're here together and we can talk about it. But here's the thing, just because we're in community doesn't mean we're always gonna agree with everything. And that's okay. 
Part of the problem with evangelicalism, which I am no longer an evangelical. I handed my divorce papers to evangelicalism last November, right? Because I feel like I spent the better half of my career pleading and begging with white evangelicals. Give us a space. Please, give me a book deal. Give me this. I am done begging. Done begging, asking white people. Yes! I'm tired of asking white folks for permission to say something. I'm tired of going to white supremacy all the time and thinking, can do we have a place at the table? Empire creates the segregation. And then they allow one of us in and you think, oh my gosh, now we can go. Anytime you have the first of anything, we have not arrived at anything. So how do we turn to a black Christ and begin to understand what black Jesus went through? How do we understand that Jesus used some very strong language with the Pharisees and Sadducees? He didn't reconcile with them. He didn't go and sit with them. In fact, he called them dogs and vipers, which is the equivalent of the F word in our language today. But we don't want to hear that, right? We want to hear a nice, pleasant, hippie Jesus with brown, flowy hair, right? That is punk Jesus. I don't want no punk Jesus. <laughs> Jesus' story is hip-hop. Baby mama drama came from the hood, you know what I'm saying? One of his boys did him in. That's hip-hop, y'all. <laughs> Let me wrap up. The nine seconds is ticking down right now. They, I know they're going to hold me to it. You know, we got this little Darth Vader thing, the little thing that uh, got Princess Leia... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Got this thing sitting right here. Whoa, whoa. Are we in the red now, y'all? That's what it looks like, though. Here's the thing, y'all. I want to work with folks. I am committed. I am a Christian. I believe in the Great Commission. I follow Jesus Christ. But the version of Jesus Christ that we've had and been given to us is not the Jesus, oftentimes, of the Bible. My encouragement to you is to live and to stand in this. Let me give you, let me end with this, uh, this quote uh, that was given by, um, well, it was a friend of mine, Barry, Barry Sanders, or Barry, uh, Barry Taylor, not Barry Sanders. I wish Barry Sanders, shoot. Get a grant from Barry Sanders. Barry Taylor, he gave this story, and, I, and it sticks with me. He said, you know, after some time he was, you know, he went down to Santa Monica, Third Street Promenade, they were doing some research, finished up, they went into this bar, and they were having spiritual night. And it was all these different type of religions around and everything, right? And he's like, hey, man, you know, um, I'm wondering, are there ever any Christians around that come to this? And the bar owner was just like, oh, man, you can't a Christian within, you know, 20 miles of this place, man. He's like, oh, well, we're Christian. I'm wondering, you know, is there any way that, you know, we can come in and show up next week when you guys have spiritual night? He's like, oh, yeah, of course, more religious than merrier. So they came the following week and they set up a table and they draped a banner off the front of it. And they said, if you believe that Christians have effed up and they spelled out the word, the image of Christ, let's talk, lines out the door. Wow. See, oftentimes we have put empire before God. In fact, God's self. My encouragement is that we begin to ask, what is it that is keeping us from not standing up and entering? What is that flame that you're afraid of? Thank you so much. Blessings. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you are the God of heaven and earth 
and you reign from your holy throne. In your hands are the depths of the earth and the highest mountains. Countless angels surround your throne, bowing down and veiling their faces before your glory. You are the sovereign Lord, the all-powerful Savior. You are the consuming fire to which Nebuchadnezzar's furnace cannot compare, and we bow down before you in awe and in reverence. But, oh God, how little we have trusted you. How quick we have been to worship and fear idols who are nothing compared to you. How often we have been mesmerized by things which have distracted us from your beauty, truth, and goodness. And we know that our sins have caused deep suffering and wounds that are beyond our power to mend, both in our personal lives and in our societies. But we also know that in rest and repentance is our salvation. So we come seeking your mercy, which humbles us and liberates us to worship and serve you. God, we confess to you that we have too often prioritized empire over you. We confess that we've allowed ourselves and our churches and our people to comfortably become apathetic to the social constructs and systems that deplete diversity and catalyze ignorance. We confess, we confess, God. We confess we are afraid. We confess we are afraid of men and women. We are afraid of positions of power. You are afraid for our lives. And we recognize the danger, God. But we also confess that all the more we should fear you. We confess that you are Lord over all. You are Lord over positions of power. You are Lord over, you are Lord over idolatry. You are Lord over complacency. You are Lord. So bring us from fighting violence with violence and bring us back to you. God, we pray these things together. And together we read the words on the screen. Father, forgive us, not on the ground of our own righteousness, but on the ground of your great mercy on the ground of your great mercy and faithfulness in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray, for he is our savior and the mediator of our covenant of grace. Amen, amen. Great is thy faithfulness.
disculpas. Nobody greater. Nobody greater. 
can depart from this place, but certainly not from his presence. May the Lord God be with you now and forever. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord. If you want to stay with us and worship him with us, you're more than welcome. If it's class, we totally understand it, but we're going to keep worshiping the Lord. Hope to see you in concert.